This is Jackie Hauser of Flexner Hauser Injury Law. Welcome to our podcast, Laughter in the Law, where we talk about the law with a lighthearted twist. Hey, this is Jackie Hauser. I'm the owner of Flexner Hauser Injury Law, and we're here today for our uh, podcast, Laughter in the Law, where we uh, talk about the law with a lighthearted twist. And we try to keep it lighthearted. Today's <laughs> not very funny, though. No, uh, it's not. It's a pretty serious topic, but it has a happy ending. For now. It does. It does. I'm here with Diane Belmont, our office manager, and we've been writing a series of articles um, on the Camp Lejeune Justice Act, um, in case you haven't heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> in case you haven't seen, you haven't seen television in six months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of information out there. It can seem very overwhelming, but we're hoping that we can kind of break it down and, and help you find the humanity behind uh, everything that's happened, uh, share some pretty awesome stories uh, about the people that came together to uh, help our veterans and the dependents of our veterans um, get better health care. Yeah. And before we get too deep into this, um, we are only on audio today. We usually do audio and video, and we use a lot of the video snippets for our advertising. But right now, video is down. So um, that's probably not a bad thing, because I, I have a face that was made for radio anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. So uh, you're just stuck with the audio, which should be enough. And and um, those of you who are missing my face, just check out a bill, ride by a billboard. You'll see it. It's up there. And I'm not a big fan of all the video and stuff anyway. So it's it's audio. Audio only is fine with me. And we'll hopefully have some video back up pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. But until then, let's uh, let's dive right in to. Uh, there's something in the water. Yeah. So this podcast is called There's Something in the Water, and it talks about the Camp Lejeune Justice Act, which is part of, it's not um, on its own, it's part of the overarching Honoring Our Pact, P-A-C-T, Act of 2022, which if you didn't know, is like the largest VA benefits and health care expansion in American history. I find that fascinating. I mean, that is absolutely significant. That yeah. is awesome. And it's even more awesome whenever you find out that it all originated because of one soldier. Um, and we're going to talk about him a little bit. I don't know him personally, but we're going to talk about him and what I've learned about his story. Before I get too farther along, though, let me give kudos to the representatives who worked on this. Um, there were three uh, U.S. representatives who worked on it, two of whom were from North Carolina, and that includes um, Representative Greg Murphy, um, a Republican, and Representative David Price, a Democrat. And then there was Matt Cartwright from Pennsylvania as well, who um, are the authors of this um, act and, uh, and need to be um, commended as well for their great work for veterans. So, I mean, that's just a hint right there that this was a bipartisan act, uh, that it was a group effort. Right. So this PACT Act um, does many things, and, and it's monumental for a couple of um, really important reasons that we'll talk about. We're not going to be able to do them all because it's just so encompassing. But in the limited time we have, one of the things it does is it creates this thing called a presumption, a presumption of service-connected 
illnesses, for service members, for veterans. And we'll get back to that word presumption in a little bit and talk about the power that it has in the law. But what it what the um, Honoring Our Pact Act did was create this presumption that these service members had illnesses related to their service if they were exposed to burn pits. Usually that was in like Iraq, South um, and Iran, um, the Middle East. If they served at Camp Lejeune, uh, that's where the Water Act or the Justice Act comes in for Camp Lejeune. If they served in the served in the Gulf War or in Southwest Asia, um, or if they served in the Vietnam area, um, it could also be from Agent Orange and things like that. And so um, that is just you know once you go back that far to Vietnam, you can see why it is one of the um, largest healthcare expansions for veterans in U.S. history. So the question is, where did it all start? You know, for for many years, um, service members would apply for benefits and be denied. Um, and so where did this all start, this PACT Act, come into place? Um, and the actual, the actual act even has a fuller name to it, and it honors the soldier whose family pursued it. His name was Heath Robinson. And it's called the Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson Honoring Our Promise to Address Comprehensive Toxics Act of 2022. And now we know why it's shorthanded to PACT Act of yes. 2022. Comes off the tongue a bit easier. Yes. We'll try to put it in the show notes, but if we forget, please go to YouTube. Just YouTube Heath Robinson, and you'll see a a couple of videos, and there's a several done by their families um, that just talk to you about the history, about him as a man, him as a soldier, how proud he was to serve in the military, and then also um, how he was in uh, the Middle East and was exposed to toxins um, in the burn pits. Right. And, um, and you know, was back for 10 years um, afterwards right. uh, before he developed cancer. And yeah, then, in, in early, uh, in his early, th- sorry, late thirties. Right. In his late thirties, he developed a very rare lung cancer. Right. And and let me reiterate here. I don't know Heath Robinson. I don't know anyone in his family. All I know is he, like many other soldiers, is an American hero. I know he was a good soldier. I, I know that he enlisted. He wasn't drafted. We don't haven't had the draft in a while, but he was an enlisted soldier, um, a lot like my dad. He wasn't an officer. He was enlisted, like my dad. He volunteered, like my dad. I just, I just love those stories. Whenever I can check off the marks and say, you know, that's that's the uh, calling of a good soldier. And so he served his country on multiple tours of duty, um, taking him far away from home, from his wife, and he had a little girl. And it was while he was serving in Iraq that he was exposed to these toxic chemicals in the burn pits. Um, and then it wasn't until whenever he was back in his early to mid-30s where he was diagnosed with that cancer, that very rare cancer. Um, and at his diagnosis, um, he was given like, um, I think, weeks to live. Yeah, just a few weeks. Yeah. yeah. Well, because he's a soldier and because he's a fighter, he he's definitely outlived the weeks that he had. He lived, I think, for approximately another three years. Yes, and right. that's where the late 30s comes in. Because he, yeah, he was diagnosed around mid-30s, 
And then he passed away late 30s. But one thing that really stuck out to me when I was listening to their story was uh, the VA denied them any help during this time. Right, exactly where I was going. So whenever he comes back and he's um, diagnosed, you know, he's served his country. He's um, he's now um, retired, uh, considered a veteran, and um, he goes back to the VA and says, "Hey, I've I've developed this this cancer that's very rare," um, and uh, the VA just denied it and said, um, you know, that there was no claim. Mm-hmm. Um, so they denied basically that his exposure to these burn pits and these toxins would have contributed to his cancer diagnosis. Um, and so because of that, he couldn't use his VA benefits um, for his health or for his, um, you know, for his death. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't cover his medical bills or anything. Um and he was fighting it. Even even while he was fighting for his life, he was fighting for uh, the for this to change, not just for him, but for other veterans like him. Right. And I just checked my notes just to make sure. Yeah, he passed away when he was 39. That's just the older you are, the younger that is. And I'm telling you, that's a very young age to be passing away. So he passed away whenever he was 39. He left behind a wife. He left behind his parents and his siblings. He left behind his um, six-year-old daughter. Um, and he left behind a desire in his family to one day help those veterans like him who had been exposed to those burn pits and to those chemicals and to one day get them the health care that they needed from the VA. Yeah. And this family, yep, they grieved and they grieved their loss. And I think they grieve it to this day. But I tell you what, that wasn't the end of his story. Yeah. This simple American family, not, not from money, not from notoriety, not from influence, just went out and got busy changing the law. Yeah. It's amazing um, what they did. So his family, his fellow veterans joined the fight. His Obviously, his friends joined the fight. And they led a crusade all the way from his front door all the way to Washington, D.C. Um, and just lobbied and lobbied and lobbied for there to be changes to the VA law. So here's the two big things. We talked about that word presumption a little while mm -hmm. ago. Presumption's a big word in the law. If the law presumes something, then you have to cross a hurdle to get over it. So if something is presumed against your case, um, I'm going to do a little aside here. We do personal injury here, and there's a presumption in the law that a child seven and under, it's called the rule of sevens, and there's a presumption in the law that a child seven and under cannot be found negligent. They just don't have the capacity so if I wanted to find a child that was seven or under negligent for some type of action that they did, I would have to cross a tremendous hurdle to prove that. So what happened here with, that's just one example of presumptions. There are many in the law. So what happened here once this family lobbied and worked for years um, to get the government officials to take notice and finally on both the Senate and the House representatives passed this act, there are two major paradigm shifts. And one is with that word presumption, where the rule is now, the presumption is that if you were 
exposed to these burn pits, and if you were deployed to the Middle East, if your health was compromised, then there's the presumption in the law that your health problems resulted from that. That's a total paradigm shift. There, there's a presumption that the government is responsible for, for having a, a part in creating those health problems for you. Exactly, because, you know, you can go and do some more research on this, but the evidence is there that for many years, the proof was available that there was a link between these illnesses and what the soldiers had been exposed to, like Agent Orange in Vietnam, um, you know, and, and like these burn pits in the Middle East. But the government had refused to accept those presumptions. And the VA would just deny the claim or deny that it was related or deny that um, there was, you know, even any, any causal relationship. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a huge paradigm shift um, whenever this law says the presumption is now that if you have this illness and if you were in these locations or in, in this service at this time, the presumption is that your illness is related to your service. Mm -hmm. Huge. The second thing that's the second um, terminology that's really big is this terminology about sovereign immunity. Sovereign immunity. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, I've heard of crown immunity. Same thing. Okay. Yeah. So in Britain, we, we adopted it from our forefathers up there, over there in the, in the Great Britain. Um, so Great Britain had this thing called crown immunity, where the king can, the phrase basically means the king can do no wrong. Yeah. The yeah. king cannot be sued. So we got rid of the king, but yet now our government can do no wrong. Right. So, mm. um, you know, even whenever my dad was in the military and, you know, back then, it's not as much today, at least in a lot of the state um, and in a lot of the um, Air Force bases in the states that I've been to. But back in the day, whenever I was a little girl, um, you know, you did everything on the base, and that included there was a hospital, and there was medical care, and there were pediatricians, and there were gynecologists, and there were so if you, you know, there was emergency room. So, uh, you know, I broke my thumb one time, and I went to the emergency room on base, and they set my thumb. And, um, you know, you just didn't go to the outside hospital where the civilians went. And that that's changed a lot um, since, since then, since many, many years ago, back in the dark ages. But also... If I would have gone and had my thumb set and they would have set it crooked or there would have been something wrong with the growth plate or something like that. Or cut a nerve or something. Cut a nerve, done anything, you yeah. know, um, cause an infection, whatever the case may be. Then I could not have sued that doctor because it, he would have been protected by the sovereign immunity doctrine. He was wow. protected by the government. <laughs> that just blows my mind. Yeah. So, you know, basically, the way that the government was, um, you and, and still is, and we'll get to the exceptions here, but the government basically says, we cannot commit a legal wrong. Uh, so, because, so, therefore, we're going to be immune from any civil suit or any criminal prosecution in our courts. I mean, that's, that's sovereign immunity. That is the law. Okay. So, usually what happens, though, like... Um, let's say you 
trip on a sidewalk or fall on a pothole, you know? Okay. And it's something that's maintained by the city. Mm-hmm. We'll just use this generically. I don't want to get a bunch of pothole calls because because they're really hard <laughs> cases to prosecute. But generally, potholes and, and tripping on sidewalks. Um, the the government still says we're so, we're immune. There's mm. sovereign immunity. However, we're going to waive our immunity. We're gonna we're gonna crack the curtain open just a little. We're gonna purchase insurance and allow you to recover within the confines, within the limits of that insurance. So we're going to allow ourselves to be sued. Um, Sometimes it's within a state agency, even not within the courts. There has to be some other type of, like with the state, you would have to pursue it within the industrial commission if you were pursuing a state um, uh, pothole versus a city pothole. Right. (laughs) Um, But but the government says, we're going to allow you to sue us up to this limit of our coverage, and that's it. You're not going to be able to recover anymore. So we've at least cracked the curtain on sovereign immunity where you can recover if the city did some wrong or the town or whatever did some wrong. So within reason, they have waived that sovereign immunity for these smaller type cases. Right. But there's been a paradigm shift in that even now with the PACT Act. Right, right? because before the U.S. government, if you were in the military, you didn't sue the government for uh, or the VA for failure to diagnose or failure to treat or failure to care for or to accept your claim. You- so, so example, uh, he, uh, the Robinson family, they try to get help from the VA. The VA denies their claim. They can't then sue the VA saying, um, hello, <laughs> this is this is basically uh, making me die earlier than I'm supposed to. Right, right. So that's why the PACT Act, which is very difficult to say, but the PACT Act of 2022 is such a massive win for those veterans because it disrupts that status quo. Ah. And um, the status quo of the government saying, hey, we're not responsible for subjecting you to toxins. And it forces the government to then acknowledge and improve the health care that's going to be available to those soldiers um, and mm. those veterans um, for those specific circumstances. So that those two things alone um, are so monumental. Once again, going back to just everyday ordinary Americans who have shifted the paradigm of American law, it's huge. Uh, okay, but l- let's let's get specific here. How are they taking responsibility? How are they waiving their sovereign immunity? Because they're allowing these claims to go forward. And so the first thing they've done is they've allowed the presumption that you are going to have, that, that your illness is service-related. Mm. And then... So we're allowing the presumption, and then we're going to allow you to pursue the claim against the government um, versus denying it. Because generally, and I can't remember, I'm I'm doing this off the top of my head, I should have checked the stats, but generally, I mean, it was minuscule, the number of claims that were allowed for these types of, um, you, know, you would make the claims, but I'm going to say less than 10%, and I think it's even less than five before this PACT Act were even allowed. And that doesn't even include the tremendous delay um, 
uh, that took place. And probably the mountains of evidence you had to produce. Right, right. So this was history-making, bar none, history-making to those um, traditional, to stop that traditional red tape bureaucracy of the U.S. government making these things available to the service members, the veterans, the grieving widows and families, um, just because of their persistence and their fight and their never-give-up attitude. So they're, they're, this PACT Act is expanding health care, like provision of health care, but also expanding the, the VA benefits, but also is allowing family members to possibly sue for compensation, for the recompense. Wrongful, right, for the wrongful death. If they've lost a loved one, then they can recover for the long, wrongful death of their loved one. Oh, okay. Um, um, but I'm assuming there's there's a time limit. There is a time limit. And we're going to get into that in part two because there's a lot more details. So basically, under this PACT Act, you think about that as a broad umbrella, one of the Portions of the PACT Act is the Camp Lejeune Justice Act, which talks about the contamination at Camp Lejeune for over 40 years. And we're going to talk about the how the PACT Act and that subpart for Camp Lejeune um, affects service members, families, civilians that lived and worked on the base, um, and all those persons who may have... Um, contracted illnesses as a result of their exposure to those contaminated wells. So the PACT Act is a good example of how loud, persistent, well-informed voices have in, can influence your government to move from a harsh doctrine or even no doctrine, no presumption, or a harsh doctrine like sovereign immunity to accepting responsibility. I think that speaks volumes for our citizens being able to bring those things to um, to the lawmakers, and I think it speaks volumes for our lawmakers in recognizing it. Um, a lot of things, we all have a lot of things sometimes to gripe about with our government. We all can find something to gripe about, but this is where they, I think they got it right, my opinion, and we'll talk more about that. Let's do a part two and just talk specifically about the Camp Lejeune Justice Act. I think it is so inspirational that a unified voice bought, brought about this change. It just goes to show that your voice does matter in things like this. And the other thing that I just think about is how excited I am to see what lies in store in the future. I mean, this has set a precedent. And we're in the middle of it right now. This past August of last year. So we're one year down and one more to go for for any kind of lawsuits or anything like that that are associated with PACT Act. More information coming in part two. Uh, but uh, it's it's pretty awesome to see. And who knows, in five years time, we'll look back on this and and kind of do a kind of think of like, well, how far have we come? It'll be really cool to see. Yeah. And we got to be part of it. Got to watch it happen in real time. Yeah. History in the making. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. Absolutely. I kind of don't miss the cameras. It's, been, <laughs> it's actually been more comfortable. We might not go back to cameras. Who knows? Who knows? But until next time, stick around for part two, because we got some great information about how you can find out if 
you qualify for the Camp Lejeune uh, Justice Act and also what you can do, what steps you need to take um, to be a part of that before the statute of limitations runs out. And what's that? <laughs> Just stick around for part two. All right. Well, hopefully we'll have more laughter in the law. And thanks for joining in for Flexner Hauser Injury Law, Laughter in the Law. Where we talk about the law with a light light.